brothers and sisters, you uh, can go ahead and grab a seat. So glad you are joining us this morning. It's fun to be here. Let me be honest. <laughs> um, I don't feel real good this morning. Uh, I think every pastor's worst nightmare happened to me during the first service. I was talking and my allergies had got so bad that my voice literally gave out and I could not talk for like two or three minutes and I was whispering like this. So I'm going to be drinking a lot during this service, so I'm sorry about that. Uh, last weekend was Uganda Sunday. And so it was really a fun opportunity that we had to get to hear from our missionaries that just came back from Uganda. And so I know you are very curious and a lot of you are asking, but I did not get to talk a lot about my vacation that I just got back from. And I know y'all wanted to see some photos. And so I, I thought I would oblige you just a little bit this morning. And so I brought a few of our family photos this morning. There's little Maggie. They got their, you know, those nasty braids like done in their hair. So she got the braids done. Uh, the girls got to play on the beach a ton. We had so much fun. We went to Cancun. This was the day, y'all. This was the day that made it all. Dad, all we want to do is just swim with dolphins. That's it. That's it, Dad. We can go to heaven after this day. We just want to go swim with the dolphins. Uh, and then our last meal there, I'm like, we went to this restaurant, and I said, just just order whatever. whatever. Whatever is the most famous thing on your menu, the best thing, just get it for me. And that is octopus right there. It was gross. Uh, this was uh, a couple. I did not eat it. A couple of the girl, a uh, couple of photos from the girls. Uh, and this is the last photo of our family there, which Maggie looks like she's been partying in Cancun all week. I'm like, Maggie, what's, what's your deal, girl? You're not even old enough to drink. She looks like she, she looks like she had a really good time the night before. Um, <laughs> So, so three out of four are really good in that photo. Um, now, what's funny about this particular photo, well, let me go over here so it doesn't help. What's funny about this particular photo, it's not what you see, it's what you don't see that made this photo happen. Uh, and I've gotten... Uh, Christy's permission to share this this morning or else I would not be talking about it. I don't know if you have ever had someone in your life um, just get hit with anxiety and fear. But for about the last five months or so, Christy's been battling um, a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear. And honestly, it's, it's been pretty pretty crippling uh, to the point where it's hard to kind of get up, to get out of bed, to kind of do your normal thing, to be your, your normal self. And so for the last, my wife just has not struggled with this for a long time. And it was, I think anxiety and fear, um, Sometimes it comes on for a lot of reasons, but this one felt like it was a sucker punch from the back of the room. It just came out of nowhere. It's like she got mugged. And to make this photo happen right here, you have no idea the pain and anguish that it take, took for us to get to even this place. Because the night before was not a pretty sight. It's 
easy for me to stand up here and show you all of the beautiful, fun family photos from the trip. And let me be honest, there are parts of it that were really painful. And there are other parts of it that were awesome. And we had so much fun. But I would be doing you a disservice and a dishonor not to talk about the whole story. Because you and I are people that live with the highlight reel. <laughs> we all have the highlights or the things that are real easy for us to talk about, the things that we're comfortable showing, or the things that we're comfortable kind of displaying to the world. But when it comes to talking about weakness, pain, hurt, fear, insecurities, how many of us actually really want to talk about those things? And listen, those things are, if you know me, they're, they're in my life too. But so often what we lead with, what we put on display is just these snippets, these highlight reels that just show uh, when things are going well, the perception of success, the perception of appearance, the perception of achievements. And yet, as I think we're going to see this morning, the Lord has something so much more in store for us. And there's a value that may have been misplaced that the Lord, I believe, wants to reestablish this morning. Because who in their right mind would ever value weakness? I mean, when you're picking a sports team, I mean, do you want to pick the weakest person on your team? I don't want Steve on my team. I've seen him play basketball before. I mean, I don't want that guy on my team. Like, you want somebody that's good. Where is, when is weakness of value? Who, who does that? Who, who, who says, I value weakness. You belong to me. You know who does, you know who does that? Jesus. And actually, it's a prerequisite for the kingdom to come in your life. Weakness. And so this morning, we're going to get after it. We're going to look at some really, honestly, some hard scripture this morning. We're going to be going through a big chunk this morning. And what I think that you're going to see this morning is that weakness does, does not actually disqualify you, but it's a prerequisite for the kingdom to come through you for the world. That your pain, that your hurt, that the place of longing inside of you does not actually cast you out or set you aside in God's economy. It actually makes you a participant at the front of the line. And y'all, that is good news. That is good news for you and for me, particularly when we got our, get our kids back into school. When things are crazy and we're not at our best and it is like, y'all got to get back to where y'all belong, Right? And it feels like you're emptying yourself out. What better place, what better time do we have to talk about weakness as a, actually a strength than this time of year as we, fix it, or as we are fixing to head into the crazies of the school year? And so we're going to dive into that this morning. And so if you're, <coughs> excuse me, if you have your Bibles, you can start turning towards 2 Corinthians 11. We're going to be jumping into a letter written by Paul uh, to a church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth is much like us. It's a church that um, is fighting to keep the simplicity of the gospel at the forefront. It's fighting to keep a cross-centered type of life as essential. And what you're going to see this morning is the value that Paul places on weakness. 
which is just so counterintuitive, counter our understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And Paul is going to reestablish that this morning. So if you are visiting or new this morning, we say the Shema on Sunday mornings. The Shema simply means to listen or to hear. It's not something we just made up. It's actually found in the book of Deuteronomy as well as in the Newer Testament. Shema simply means to hear, to listen. Uh, we will say just the first couple of lines in Hebrew because that's the language that Jesus would have known it in. And we think it's powerful to have his words on our lips in the language that he would have known it in. You will also see people in our community raising uh, a pinky. It's another fa uh, little family tradition for us um, because all throughout the scripture, it talks about the finger of God, the hand of God. And it's this um, analogy that there's enough power in God's smallest finger to transform the world in your varied life. And so we raise a pinky to be reminded of that this morning. So I'm going to invite you to stand as we prepare our hearts to receive God's word by saying the Shema together. Let's say this. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. And so God, uh, as we open up your word and read it, God, our prayer is always that it would read us as well, God. God, just may we see things we've never seen, God, so that we can do things we've never done. May we see you in new light this morning that somehow we are marked and that we walk differently because we've had an encounter with you in your presence. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Excuse me, excuse me. So we're going to jump into uh, 2 Corinthians 11 uh, this morning. And so it's a lot of scripture, so hang with me. We're going to make our way through it quickly this morning. It says this. You happily put up with what anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one that we preach to you, or a different kind of spirit than the one that you received, or a different kind of gospel that you originally believed. And so Paul is writing this letter to a church in Corinth that is getting drug away, that is starting to lean away from the simplicity of the original gospel that was given to them. And so now you're going to see why he's addressing this part to them, why he's saying what he's saying. Verse 5, but I do not consider myself inferior in any way to these uh, quotation marks, super apostles, who teach such things. I may be unskilled as a speaker, but I'm not lacking in knowledge. We have made this very clear to you from the very beginning in every possible way. And so Paul is writing this letter because he's really having to do a couple of different, thing, different things. There are these super apostles um, that have been uh, teaching in the synagogues. And what these super apostles would do is um, they would have uh, three or four really powerful sermons tucked in their back pocket. And what would happen is they would go to the different synagogues of the time and they would deliver this powerful home run message and uh, then they would leave. And now Paul is not this guy. He certainly doesn't have the speaking ability or the charisma or um, the draw that these super apostles have. And so these super apostles would come through town, wow the people, collect enormous amounts of money, and then as a collection, as an offering, and then vacate the town. But the problem was, is they were 
pulling people away from the gospel message that Paul gave to them. And so this church in Corinth was, had bought in hook, line, and sinker to the messages of these super apostles. And where they were uh, pulling people towards was this. Uh, they were beginning to put emphasis and energy and the attention of what the gospel should be on appearance and achievement. So these apostles were coming through town, blowing the doors off the church, but they were emphasizing appearance and achievement as a way to bring about the kingdom of God. And so that is not Paul. Paul is not a fantastic speaker. He's not an unbelievable communicator. He doesn't have the media team. He doesn't have his hype man. He's not all that impressive. He doesn't have like the CrossFit bod. He's not that guy. There would be nothing that we would just be naturally drawn to his charisma. And so Paul is having to step in and to defend the gospel message away from appearances and keeping up with appearance and keeping up with achievements. And so we're going to keep going. We're going to jump down to verse 21. But whatever they dare to boast about, I'm talking like a fool again. I'll dare to boast about it too. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? Well, so am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I know I am sounding like a madman. But if I have served, but I have served him far more. I've worked harder, been put under, put, excuse me, been put in prison more often, been whipped time without numbers and faced death again and again. And so Paul is beginning to make his argument and say, listen, people, we got to move in a new, new direction and don't pursue appearance and achievement. And so Paul begins to outline, don't run this way, instead run this way. But the problem with what Paul is preaching, he's saying, listen, it's not about appearance and achievements. What is he talking about? I've been beat. I've been in danger. I have been hurt by people. And so if you are trying to pull people away from appearance and achievement and win this argument, you're not going to talk about your weaknesses. You're not going to talk about getting beat. You're not going to talk about people hating you. You're going to boast about other things. And yet that's not what Paul does. He's making this argument that there's something more for the people of God. There's something more that you and I get invited into. And so I want you to watch as Paul begins to unfold his argument. Listen to this. This is pretty remarkable. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me the 39 lashes because it was said if you were, la if you were whipped 40 times, it would kill you. So they whipped him one less time. Right? So he received the 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rod, uh, rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I faced danger from rivers. I faced danger from robbers. I faced danger from my own people, from the Jews as well as the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, on the seas. Sounds like he's faced a lot of danger. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be uh, believers but are not. I have worked hard and been hungry and I've been thirsty and I've often gone without 
food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothes to keep me warm. Let alone, I have had the daily burden of concerning myself for all of these churches. Who is weak without me feeling weak? Who is led astray that I do not burn with anger? And so what Paul is beginning to do, he's pulling people away. But what is his argument? Look, it's not about appearances and about achievements. And then he goes on and he talks about being beat. He talks about being stoned. He talks about being shipwrecked. He talks about being cold. He talks, I mean, if I am Paul's kind of hype man, I'm going to tell Paul, Paul, you need, you need to quiet down. Ain't nobody going to sign up for your way of life. I mean, who wants to sign up for that? But I want you to see something that Paul knows that I believe is utterly just essential for us this morning. Paul is not going to run down this route of appearances and achievements because he knows, can we be real clear this morning? Y'all, this is so shallow and superficial. This never leads to life. And what Paul offers us is something really different. It's not in your appearance. It's not in your achievements. But it's in your authenticity and it's in your obedience. That appearance and achievement never bring the kingdom. The kingdom unfolds through authenticity and obedience, that even when my life, Paul's life, looks like an utter failure, being whipped, beat, shipwrecked, hungry, cold, mistreated, that the kingdom comes through his authenticity and through his obedience. It's powerful. Paul offers us a total revolutionary, upside-down way of understanding the gospel message. Skip down to verse 30 as we uh, continue to read this one little part. Listen to this. If I must boast, I would rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, who is worthy of eternal praises, knows that I am not lying. Y'all, it's pretty, pretty, pretty easy to tell what kind of world we live in. I mean, think about what you watch, what you see, what the world values, maybe even what you value, what I value. We value appearance and achievement. And yet Paul is coming along and saying that the way of the kingdom is about authenticity and about obedience. I mean, isn't it funny that, that I can go to the loft? <laughs> oh, here it comes. Sorry. Isn't it funny that I can go to the loft, which you should go, snap a photo and upload it and make it look like the greatest adventure of all time? super easy to do, to have appearance and achievements. I'm, I'm fully aware that when I introduce myself to people and they ask what I do and I say, well, I'm a pastor, that that carries with it some sort of appearance for them. Because I grew up um, seeing a pastor on stage and, and thinking, well, that person must have their, have their lives all together. They must be somebody that's pretty dang confident, that's really secure. 
that's really full of the Holy Spirit, that's really knows what it's like to walk with intimacy with Jesus 24-7. And let me, be, let me be honest, I used to believe that about people that stood on stages until I started to stand on stages. Because I know me, and I would be doing you a grave disservice if I stood up here and I boasted about achievements and about how awesome I am. Because, listen, there are days where I'm really lonely. And there are days that uh, I wish somebody would pick up the phone and say, how are you? And there are times where, if I'm really honest, when I'm driving to church on Sunday, I really don't want to be here. But it's not in my appearance and achievements. It's in my authenticity and obedience that even when I'm feeling weak, even when my feelings are lying to me, it's the way that the kingdom comes. It's not through appearance and achievements that even when I'm struggling, even when I'm weak, even when I'm in the middle of whatever it is I'm facing, it's the authenticity and obedience are what make the way for the kingdom of God to best be on display in my life. I want, to, I want us to keep reading as Paul begins to unfold his argument a little bit more. Verse 12 says, or chapter 12 says this, this boasting will do no good. And this is just, you know, this is classic Paul. He says, this boasting will do no good. But I will go on. I will reluctantly tell you about these visions and revelations that I have. And so this, we're going to skip this part, honestly, because I have no idea what Paul is talking about here. And so I'm sure that some of you have spent more time in this part than me. But Paul, on, on uh, the next couple of verses, talks about that he gets called up into the third heaven. And I'm third heavens. And I'm like, wait, there are three heavens? I thought there was only one. But he talks about being caught up into the third heaven and having this uh, conversation with the people saying, I don't know if it was in the body or out of the body, but whatever happens, Paul has this beautiful, intimate uh, encounter with Jesus. And I want you to see what happens next in the story. Jump down to verse seven. It says this, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God to keep me from becoming proud, I was giving a thorn in my flesh a messenger from Satan to torment me and to keep me from becoming proud. And just at the heels of this beautiful encounter with God, Paul is given this, as the scripture says, a thorn in the flesh. And scholars, y'all, they love to go wild with guessing what this is. Some people think that, uh, that Paul was a stutterer when, they, when he talked. And so he was called to declare the gospel everywhere he went, and yet he was a st 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 stutterer, and that made it really hard for him. That could have been the thorn in the flesh. There's some other indication that he walked with a limp. Uh, some other things, the other ideas are uh, that there was a relationship that was in his life that was just nagging him all of the time, and that he had to deal with. We honestly, we have no idea what it is, but there was something that was in his life that was nagging and that was causing pain, that was causing him to suffer. And I want you to see, this is the key passage for us this morning, how God responds to Paul, how God responds to this 
part. So we're going to look down at verse uh, 8. Yes, we are. <laughs> it says, <laughs> I, can I be honest? I love having kids in here. Please, parents, I absolutely love it. It makes me feel so at home. It speaks to so much. <laughs> it makes, it's, it's just, babies are always a blessing. And I love that we have kids that are loud. It does not bother me at all. I think it speaks to the grace of God giving us new life in our community. And so I'm, so please, mamas, I just, I love it. I absolutely love it. So uh, listen to what it says in verse eight. Let's come back to it. Let's dial in. It says this, three times I begged the Lord to take this thorn in my flesh away. We don't know what it is, but Paul is like, just remove it, get it out. Lord, it's painful. I don't want it in my life. And I want you to see how God answers Paul. This is the crux of the matter for us this morning. Each time the Lord God said this, my grace is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. So now I will be glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Isn't that just backwards? It's just the upside down nature of the kingdom of God, that appearance and achievements never make the way for the kingdom to be brought in your life, for God to show up, but it's through radical authenticity and, and obedience. Let that, think, let that part just sink in. It says, each time God responded, my grace is all you need. My power is made perfect in your weakness, that his power is made complete. It is finished. It, as we sang this morning, his power surrounds you. It, you come face to face with it. And that doesn't happen when we're at our best. It happens when we feel weak and we feel disoriented. That the God of the universe's power is best on display in your life in your weakness. Y'all, that's crazy. That, I mean, isn't that just so backwards and upside down? That means, so often we hear this verse where it talks about God's power being made perfect in our weakness. We say those things to somebody that's like at the end of the rope. God's power is made perfect in your weakness. And although that's true, if that's all it ever is, you, you've missed it. If God's power is made perfect in your weakness, and that's only for a season, then where is the power of God moving in your life? It's only seasonal. But I believe it cannot be just a seasonal thing. What I believe the Lord is doing is moving us away from achievements and appearances and helping us move towards authenticity and obedience. It's not just a season of grace in your life. 
It's actually an invitation for wholehearted, authentic living. That means it's not just about a season that you have to endure or a season that you get through, but it's an invitation for the power of God to be made whole in your life and on display for the world to see. Y'all, that is good, good news. Do you know, this is, this is gonna sting a little bit. Do, did you know that you're, willingness to embrace the pain, that your willingness to embrace your own limitations is a threshold for you to experience intimacy with God. It's a threshold for you to experience intimacy with God because his power is made perfect in your weakness. And if you and I only try to keep up with our appearances and achievements, we never get to this place of allowing Jesus to meet us in our deepest need, in our deepest longing, in our deepest pain. And his power cannot be made perfect because we're, we're suffering through achievements and appearances. Paul, in another letter to uh, a church in Philippi says this. He says this. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, share in his death, so that in one way or another, I will get to experience the resurrection of the dead. Do you know what I wish it said? I wish it said, I want to know the power of Christ and his resurrection. Because ain't nobody want to share in the suffering. Ain't nobody want to share in the death and in the pain. I mean, think about when you have pain in your life, when you have suffering in your life, what is the first thing that we do? God, take it away. I don't want it. Get it out. I don't want it. I don't want it. And yet, it's a vehicle for the power of God to be made perfect in your life. Because the truth is there's a lot of people that want to share in the resurrection of Christ, but there's very few of us that are willing to endure the pain of the, of the cross. And that is a very difficult thing for us, for me to even stand up here and talk about. Because it's real and it's difficult and it's super painful. So... The rest of the story when we were in Mexico. So Tuesday night, Christy had a really bad night and uh, it was hard. Uh, she was in the hotel room and really kind of locked up. Didn't really want to get out. Very difficult, especially to see your wife in that place. <clears throat> and so I walked into downtown Cancun by myself, which was a treat. <laughs> as a single guy walking to downtown Mexico uh, to the, see the things that were offered in like a half a block, uh, just going to the pharmacy. I'll tell you later. Uh, so I'm walking to the pharmacy to get her something and just praying like, because Wednesday morning, the girls, we had scheduled to go see, to go swim with the dolphins that next morning. And just, Lord, would you please, God, this is what the girls want to do. Would you steady us for the night? 
God, we'll endure this, but not one more moment longer than you find it necessary. So may your power be made perfect in this weakness right now. So that next morning we get up and we load up on this shuttle van and there's about 10 or 12 of us. All right, I mean, it seats about 10 or 12 and me and Christy get in the front seat, girls get in the back. So we're in the front seat, the girls sit right behind us in this, uh, and there's no one else on the shuttle and this little Arminian family um, comes and gets on the shuttle with us. And they have three older boys, you know, high school, obviously. And mom and dad pile in right behind us. One boy gets in the front. The other boy gets in the back, very last seat. But the oldest son doesn't get on the bus. And they keep saying, get on the bus, get on the bus. No, I don't feel good. I don't feel good. Son, get on the bus. We've paid for this dolphin excursion. But, yo, I don't feel good. I'm not going to go. Mom and dad are very distraught. Son, get on the bus. Get on the bus with us. Come on. We've planned this family. I can't go. And, and in my mind, I'm that guy that's like, <laughs> he probably drank too much last night. This little, this little guy doesn't, you know, I'm, so I'm kind of smirking about that. Uh, I know. Uh, so I'm kind of smirking about that. And this goes on for five minutes. Ten minutes go by. Get on the bus, son. And his brother's like, just leave him. He's fine. As the typical brothers would do. And after about ten minutes, the driver of the shuttle gets out, walks around, slams the door shut, and we drive off and we leave them. And obviously, mom and dad are distraught at this point. I, what Should we go back? We got to turn around, turn around. I'm going to get a cab because it's an hour and a half away from where we're going. I'm going to get a cab. I'm going to go back. I'm going to be with him. And they're just, they're really worked up. And so me and Christy are sitting in the front and, and I'm like, Okay. Hey, are you guys okay? Is, is your son sick? <coughs> and the mama says, oh, he's not sick. He struggles with anxiety. And so, so Christy's ears go up. <laughs> In the back of the bus, she slides. And for the next hour and a half, she gets to talk with this uh, mom and dad who are just distraught about their son. And she gets to talk with them about, listen, it's not real, but it's very real to him. He feels it. If he could talk himself out of this, he would have done it by now. When you keep putting pressure on him to just act normal, it's actually doing damage to him. And for the next hour and a half, Christy just gets to lay in in the best possible way to this mom and dad. Come to find out that uh, they are faithful people and their son's name is Joshua. And so Christy says, do you know what I believe about Joshua? I was just, I just understand. One of my favorite verses in all of Joshua is 1-9. Be strong and courageous. And I'm just going to pray that for your son. So we get out. We have a great day at the Dolphins. It was awesome. At the end of the night, we get back on the same shuttle with the same people and head to our hotel room. And we're talking to them. Please come out to California. Y'all are so sweet. You know, they're really a, a kind, very kind couple. And right before we get out, the mama, who's still pretty much a mess, says, 
would you please come have dinner with my son? Yes. And so I take the girls and Christy goes and eats dinner with this 19-year-old boy named Joshua. And she gets to help him sort through anxiety and what he's feeling, how he's processing things, what he's doing to try to cope with it. Now, what would have happened if she said, well, my weakness disqualifies me? What happens if she sold out to appearance and achievements and she held it all in and pretended like nothing was wrong to keep up the appearance on the bus? What would have happened? Where does the power of God most freely flow? It's not in appearance and achievements, but it's in authenticity and obedience. That even when you're at your weakest, even when it feels like you're blowing it, even when it feels like you're failing, even when it feels like your world is crumbling and falling apart, you can know that the kingdom will unfold through radical authenticity and radical obedience. Can you imagine? No, no, I, I, I don't struggle with that stuff. This young man would have never sat with her and had an encouraging word spoken over him and for him to go back and to rethink how he's dealing with that stuff. And just a total side note too. Do you know what so many people outside of the church complaint with people that are inside of the church? <laughs> this is us. We are people that will cling to appearance and achievements. I'm not talking about my stuff. So good to see you this morning. How are you? Oh, highly blessed, deeply favored, you know? <laughs> I'm like, dude, I know you. <laughs> Just stop that. Keeping up with appearances and achievements will suffocate this church. Do you know where the power of God will flow? As you and I will cling to, as Paul coaches us this morning, to a life of radical authenticity and obedience, even in the face of weakness, seeming, seemingly our failures, insecurities, pain, and brokenness. Because who better <coughs> to talk to the brokenhearted and somebody that knows what it's like to be broken hearted. I mean, who better to talk to the lonely than somebody that knows what it's like to find the embrace of Father? Who better to talk to somebody in addiction than somebody that can stand and say, I've been set free, I'm on the other side. Who better to talk to somebody who's struggling in their marriage than somebody that's struggled in their marriage? Your weakness does not discount you. It does not cast you out. It's actually a prerequisite for the hand, for the kingdom of God to move and flow in your life. One last thing as we wrap it up this morning. So we've been talking about Corinthians and I want us to to just zoom out just for one second. So we're gonna go back to Genesis. And it's this picture that I think often we overlook 
for a lot of different reasons, but it's been very clear that this is what God has been fighting for from the very beginning uh, of time. In Genesis 1, it says, In the beginning, the earth was formless, and darkness covered the earth. It was this wild, chaotic, unruly place that God created. And as God began to speak and things began to unfold in the middle of his creation, it was good. But we have this, this feeling that is not yet complete and so God creates man and woman and he puts them in this garden, this place of beauty and perfection and enjoyment. And it seems like everything is right. And yet, do you know what the very first thing that God says to man and woman is? It's this prophetic declaration and it's also this blessing for them at the same time. It says, he says this to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the garden? He says, be fruitful and fill the earth to subdue it, which means to steward it, to bring it into order. That man and woman, as good as the garden was, were not created to live in this perfect, nice, safe, little, comfortable place. They were supposed to step out and to embrace the wild, to embrace the chaos, to bring it into order, to come to face-to-face uh, -to -face with their own limitations so that the power of Christ could be made perfect even in their limitations. Church, you were never designed for appearances and achievements from the very beginning of the dawn of creation. God has ordered things. You have been created in, in such a way that the image of Christ is bared on you from the very beginning so that you and I don't, don't crave the garden, this safe, perfect, beautiful place, but to step out into the wild, to step out into the chaos, to bring it into the order the invitation of God is to step out into the world and into the pain, to come face to face with your limitations, the hurt, the pain, the regret, the fear, so that the power of Christ can meet you in your weakness. It's powerful. And that can never happen. You will never confront the chaos out there unless you first confront that chaos inside here. Um, so this last week, uh, I did something I should not have done. Um, this last six weeks for the Hinky Binds, two months has been the most expensive two months in our in our marriage. We we have gone to the medical for my injuries. We had Maggie in the hospital. Christy had a bunch of stuff. It's been ridiculous how much money we've spent the last uh, two months. I mean, all of it's gone. So. I bought a new kayak last week, so it's pretty dang awesome. So I do, a, uh, I do a bunch of weddings kind of on the side for a bunch of these wedding venues, and I've just been socking that money away uh, for a long time. And so I found this guy on Craigslist that had this. They, sh they should lock me up because I straight up stole it from him for the deal I got it for. Uh, he had bought this deluxe kayak, top of the line, everything I could have ever wanted in a kayak. And I got it for like 25% of the cost of what he originally bought it for. Brand spanking new. But the problem with that is I have nowhere to put it. I get one room in the whole house and you know what that one room is? 
the garage. And so the garage, uh, you walk out, smells like cigars. Yeah, it does. That's right. Get inside. This is my room. It's the only room I get in the whole single house. And so uh, it's pretty gross. There's half-finished projects. There's tires. There's uh, hunting stuff. There's fishing stuff. There's junk everywhere, all over. It smells bad. And it's heaven. It's great, y'all. It's a great place. Uh, but no room to set my new kayak. And so you know what I had to do last weekend? Had to grow to the garage door, lift it all up, look at all the junk in there. And I had to begin to see, man, what stuff just doesn't fit anymore? What stuff have, has made its home in my house for a really long time that just does not belong anymore? So I had to sort through all the piles of junk and all the piles of half-finished promises and half-finished whatever. And I had to pitch the stuff that, honestly, was just taking up space in my house. And what a good picture for us this morning, too. That in order to receive a beautiful gift, we got to do the work of opening up the garage pulling out the stuff that just doesn't fit in our lives anymore and exposing it and saying in that place and in that weakness and in that moment is where the power of Christ wants to be made perfect because I know that there are many people listen we have a lot of people gone taking kids off to college today and God bless those families but there are a whole lot of us in here that I believe, I know, struggle with anxiety, fear, deep insecurities. And what if in this very moment that in that place of vulnerability and that place of weakness, that is the exact place where the power of God wants to meet you this morning. Dads, this is talk about mom guilt dads we have it too where it feels like the task of raising kids is overwhelming my kid has not bathed since Wednesday <laughs> and that's true she had a bath last night I'm like gosh that's a long time and to think that man I've said things I've left things undone and it's easy to walk around feeling defeated as a father. And what if it was in that place that the power of God wanted to meet you this morning? That in the place where you feel weak and vulnerable is the place that the intimacy of God is going to break out. And it's the place where God will meet you this morning so that the place of your greatest weakness and pain will actually become the place in your life where the most, the power of God is made manifested the most. What if you and I, we left this life of craving for appearance and achievement we said that this is a life that will suffocate us and leave us shallow every day of our lives. What if you and I began to come face to face with our own limitations, with our own pain, with our own hurt, and we opened the garage door 
and we said, God, in that place, would you meet us? The power of God is here and available and ready to work right now. This is not some lofty idea that's out there. This is the gospel message. It's not in your ability to achieve anything. It's about what has been achieved on your behalf. That you and I, can we just say this in the, in the best positive way, are the most needy people of all time. We needed to be rescued. We needed a savior. We needed the Holy Spirit. We needed God to come and do for us what we could not do on our own. And it's not in our achievements and our abilities to pull something off that he comes and finds us but it's in our authenticity and our needs. What if that was for you, for this morning, as we head in to another school year?